0: Welcome to the History of the Batman presented by Meltdown Comics and Collectibles with our wonderful host and star, London. This is where we relive the defining moments of one of the most iconic figures in comic art and literature, the Batman. Meltdown Comics, located in Hollywood, California, where all kinds of things are going on. And I'm sure you might even be able to hear some of them right now. So come on down and check us out if you ever get the chance. But let me turn the mic over to London.
1: Hey, everybody. Well, since we just celebrated Joker's 75th anniversary, it was April 25th back in 1940. I thought it would be the perfect time to talk about one of Batman's actually greatest characters within his history, the Joker. His creation already is kind of an interesting topic to discuss because most of the creators, Jerry Robinson, Bill Finger, Bob Kane, all had controversy coming up with this character and kind of who receives the recognition. They all had different inspirations. The biggest one, and you can clearly see it in the design in the Joker's debut in Batman number one from spring of 1940, the Joker playing card, um, which originally appeared in American playing decks in the mid-1880s. Jerry Robinson did a quick sketch of a Joker card and kind of gave his features like a little... The fiendish grin is just a little bit more devious than the regular court jester, and along with that, Bill Finger saw the, or was influenced from the 1928 film, The Man Who Laughs, and um, Conrad Veidt's character, who pretty much was a disfigured man with kind of a kind of corner smile. And that really played into Robinson creating the character because he always had a fascination with the disfigured in fiction and different things like that, like Hunchback Notre Dame. Obviously, Victor Hugo's work, you know, writing The Man Who Laughs and Notre Dame was a really big influence. And he thought that having an arch nemesis for Batman, he wanted him to be not just a regular crook or someone he wanted to be kind of out of the ordinary kind of someone that stands out and seeing the kind of disfigurement in him thought that that would attract audiences more so when you first see joker he has bright red hair chalk white skin a very bright red smile and he's already considered a serial killer he probably in the first issue commits about five different murders and is remorseless about it and is guilt-free. And Batman and Robin, you know, pretty much go after him like any other villain, you know, that comes. But his was a little different. I mean, he had the combat skills and the wit to kind of match Batman, even though they placed him in prison and the Joker's like, I will have the last laugh and all of the kind of, like, bylines that Joker always has – it was something different that the readers hadn't seen before. Even when Batman had kind of his own year one and was in 1939 and he was by himself before Dick Grayson was introduced in Detective Comics 28 from April of 40. It was more of a sinister character um, to present that even Batman hadn't faced before. Even in The Joker Returns in the second story he was originally just going to be in that comic but the editor and even the creators they thought he would be great to just have as a recurring person and Jerry Robinson and Bill Finger pretty much just wanted to keep him in and even in the beginning didn't want him to have an origin they wanted him to just be This kind of crazy maniac that goes around Gotham and gathers different henchmen and commits these out-of-this-world crimes, just very different every time. It can be themes of the circus to committing upside-down crimes to just robbing the wealthy. It's just he committed acts that were, you know, kind of commonplace, you know, going into the 40s and the Golden Age comics. But he became one of the three reoccurring uh, Batman rogues, the other two being the Penguin and Catwoman, who also was introduced in Batman, number one from, from spring of 1940.
0: So real quick, London, let me yes. ask a couple questions. questions. Sure. That is amazing information. Again, my name's Adam. I'm. Chief Experience Officer here at meltdown we're also joined by Shadow Adam, who kind of hides in the background and then just springs out and gives us some good information and questions but so talk real quick if you don't mind because I have a question so when was Joker first introduced? What was his first appearance are you do you know that
1: well, his first appearance in comics was in Batman number one okay so when A year after Batman was introduced in Detective Comics, he was given his own self-titled publication that's just Batman. And in the first story, it was untitled then, but now they call it The Joker. And that was his first time in comics. And a year prior, Jerry Robinson, the artist, and writer Bill Finger were developing the character and wanted to give Batman an arch nemesis. Um, They wanted him to have kind of like, you know, um, just like... His, you know, like Sherlock Holmes had his. And since he was inspired by the character, um, he, yeah, so in 1940, that was his first appearance. And then within that first 12 issues of Batman, he appeared in probably about nine of them. He, in, in, in every one, you know, they fought and then he escapes and they think he's dead. But then, of course, he comes back and he's alive and he has new gang members and a new plan and a new way to, you know, disrupt Gotham.
0: And during that time when Joker was first introduced, what was the the tone of Batman? What was his tone? Was he a darker character? Was he the uh, golly G character? What what was Batman like at that time?
1: Well, it was right after, I mean, in 1940, he still kind of had a dark air about him, but once Dick Grayson came in and it was the Caped Crusader and the Boy Wonder and they became the dynamic duo, his demeanor became less dark and, you know, you didn't see him, you know, have a gun on his hip anymore and you saw him kind of giving sides to the audience saying, you know, don't, you know, use weapons, you know, use your your strength and your wit and kind of giving, you know, almost, you know, Sunday school lessons within the middle of fights. And it his demeanor was much lighter. It started to progress more to like how Silver Age is in the early 50s and throughout the 60s. Um, but yeah, that first year, which is why I always find it interesting for Batman, he was a much darker character. And Joker he was dark as well i mean he still committed murders and he still you know did his you know crazy antics but he was just kind of like this this rogue that literally was rogue he really didn't he had you know a plan and you know he's like oh i want to do this but it really was just kind of everywhere and i think the biggest thing is that you know he would do all these horrible acts even within the first you know decade But, you know, he still had a huge smile on his face and still, you know, it's just so reminiscent of, you know, the gesture, the fool. But he would, you know, fool Batman at times and have him trapped. And I think even though Batman's demeanor became a little lighter, Joker balanced it out with his, you know, crimes and his, you know, ways and his kind of like just, you know, remorseless personality.
0: So was the Joker... Um, I mean, how would you describe his personality in the beginning? W- was he this maniacal insane can't control my own laughter kill everybody chaos guy, or did he have a plan i mean ha- i don't I don't really know what he was like when he was first introduced
1: when he was first introduced, if you read the different stories, he would always i mean it always was set up as he had you know a goal um if he wanted to rob, you know, some type of bank in a certain way, look a certain way with different people or anything, you know. He would have that plan, but just the way he goes about it, it's just kind of a careless kind of, I'm just going to... It wasn't even at the point of him being insane. I think what made Joker kind of a a kind of scary character was just the fact that he did... He, He had no, you know, there was no guilt. He was just a very kind of just, you know, oh, I just killed three people. Ha ha. You know, but it wasn't to the point where it's so maniacal and insane and just like bloodthirsty as we see a lot of the Jokers in the more modern period. It was just kind of like, you know, oh, if people die by my hands, it's all right because I got what I got. You know, a lot of times it would just be like he wants money or he wants, you know, a jewel. Like it was something that he tried to attain. It wasn't just random acts of violence. It was I'm going to get this and I have these people hired and I'm going to try to stay away from Batman and Robin as much as possible because they're going to stop me. So he was still kind of this, you know, very... um extraordinary character in terms of his looks and kind of what he was going for but it didn't quite hit that you know mass murder you know insane person that we see much later like within the 80s which we'll talk about
0: right so in the beginning um did they have an origin story for the joker
1: The origin story actually came about a decade after he was introduced, and it was in Detective Comics 168, and it was from uh, February of 1951, and it was a Bill Finger story, and it was called The Man Behind the Red Hood, and that was the first time the character Red Hood was ever introduced in DC, and I know a lot of the followers that I have on the page, they automatically recognize Red Hood with Jason Todd, who... Comes in the '80s, and you know that which I which I always find interesting, and I always love to tell them that you know this character has a backstory way before that, and you know because a lot of people really like the idea, um, but pretty much in that comic, um, Batman is almost recalling a story and trying to remember this one time where he had to face a gangster, you know that was um, entering a. A uh, playing card chemical plant pretty much and he was wearing a large pretty much red kind of infrared hood with a black suit and a bow tie and he had his gang members and everything and when he was fighting Batman in order to escape he only felt like you know I can't escape the Batman and he's gonna take me out he dived into this huge vat of chemicals and Pretty much in the comic, you see him swimming to the surface and he takes off the hood and then he sees that he's pretty much been disfigured. He has green hair. He has white skin. He has red lips. His mouth is configured into a smile and he looks pretty much like, a. you know, he even says, you know, what a joke am I? But then the next panel just surfaces to him saying, I'm going to use this look to, you know, get back, you know, the city that pretty much created me. And that theme kind of lasts even through later decades. You know, he feels like Gotham City is the reason why he was transformed from a, you know, quote unquote, regular guy to this monster. And so he uses that and, you know, blames Batman for it kind of you know and he's like i'm going to go by the name of the playing card company that created me and i'm going to use the joker and so that was pretty much his origin and then in the story you find out that the red hood was the Joker, you know. You don't know who the gangster is in the beginning. It's just an anonymous person. Batman tries to figure out, I wonder who that was that got away, that fell into the vat, and then he's surprised, and he's standing with Robin, and then Joker's like, haha, you've never known this until now. And it's it's an origin, and I always found it interesting because um, Jerry Robinson, he commented that he never wanted to give Joker an origin. He kind of just wanted him to be a mystery. And I think that's why, even in the decades to follow, you know, even though the Red Hood story is probably the most popular origin story, Joker really doesn't have an origin story. Nothing is really set into stone. Um, he's still kind of like a mysterious character, which even adds to the kind of fear of him because not only is he a little crazy and he does, you know, different things but you don't know where he comes from you don't know why he does the things he, he does and that you know element of the unknown brings a kind of you know scariness to him
0: right so okay and you had talked about a little bit about the creator controversy so right. when, <laughs> w- when Joker first was drawn and written who were the creators to actually put him first on paper
1: It would be Jerry Robinson and Bill Finger. And Bob Kane, at the time, who, you know, was co-creator of Batman, he always, I mean, even to his deathbed, he said that Jerry Robinson did not create him. That, you know, he was just on the side. And he just mentioned, oh, it should look like a gesture card. And, you know, it just was kind of like... He wanted to have, and even Bill Finger, you know, he's like, oh, when I saw a picture of um, Conrad Veidt and the man who laughs and how he looked, you know, even Bob Kane was like, oh, you know, he just kind of mentioned it. It was kind of like at a glance. And so no full credit, no one ever has just been like, yes, that's him. But if you read just different, you know, you know, documents and things like that, it's pretty much Jerry Robinson With his idea of the court jester and you know Bill Finger's um, influence from the man who laughs, which is Joker, and and
0: they put it onto paper
2: first,
1: right? Exactly.
2: So we know from the Shadow Adam, from (laughs) the DC Comics that only Bob Kane is credited with creating Batman. Who does DC Comics credit with the creation of Joker?
1: Um, They credit Bob Kane, and it depends, because sometimes they do put Jerry Robinson, but it'll be Bob Kane. It can either be Bob Kane, Bill Finger, Jerry Robinson, or just Bob Kane. It kind of depends, because when Bob Kane was introduced um, by Vin Sullivan, who was the editor of National Publications before it became DC Comics, and they wanted him to create a new character... He was the one who, you know, was inspired by the Pulp Fiction and Zorro and all of these different elements and he created the Bat-Man and it's all due to this contract signed in 1939 that pretty much stated that all of the rights to Batman, no matter who was on it, who the artist, writer, anyone else, It would just show that it was Bob Kane. So probably not until about the mid-60s do we even see other creators for the past 20 years that were involved in, you know, Batman's stories even recognized. So it's always an interesting look to see you know behind the scenes of like who made the characters and just that controversy of you know i'm sure it deals with the family and money and all of those things that kind of come along with it but the joker's creation it's interesting because even to this day you know it's still you know it's still argued but if in my opinion just from what i've read and what i've seen in the art i would say it's jerry robinson bill finger and bob Kane. probably you know help write the story right
0: so. they all kind of came together
1: right exactly
0: now it was when joker first came out was it clearly established that this is batman's arch nemesis or is this something that uh, grew to be
1: i think it's something that developed um over the 40s and the early 50s um like i said they're about there were at that time probably four rogues because Two Face was then introduced. Um, but the Joker was the most reoccurring. He was the one you saw the most. But then, since he, you know, he had such a violent nature, um, when the Comics Code Authority kind of surfaced um, after uh, the German uh, psychologist uh, Frederick Werthmann um, put out his book um the seduction of the innocent that's when everything kind of slowed down for joker for probably a decade and a half because he put he had the theory that comic books were gum making young children and young readers juvenile delinquents and it had too much violence and it you know gave too much innuendos and you know there was too much sexuality and all these things that frightened parents and so they put and you can even see them on the comics it's like in the top right hand corner it says comic code authority pretty much made all of the comics tamer the stories, the characters, how they acted. That's why the Silver Age, which starts pretty much in 1954 and lasts till about the early 70s, um, that's the Silver Age, and that's more of the very lighthearted, kind of fun, goofy stories, and it made Joker into almost a gimmick character. Um, And, you know, he kind of wasn't so, you know, I'm murdering everybody and kind of crazy. You know, he kind of like... You know, it was introduced to stuff like, you know, the trick gun, you know, that just goes bang and it doesn't really shoot. Or, you know, the the hand buzzer and the, you know, acid flower and just the things that just made him, you know, less of a threat, you know, a more dangerous character.
0: Have you been able to actually break down the different periods of the Joker?
1: I think that each decade you see a different Joker. I really think if you just go by it 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s and the 2000s, you see a different type of Joker that each different artist and writer kind of okay. presents. So Definitely. W-
0: the 40s. Um can you point to any essential stories that would help uh really get someone, you know, acquainted with what the Joker was, how is he defined or what should we be looking for? To figure out what the '40s Joker was like,
1: um, pretty much if you look through, I mean, like I said, um, a great source. Um, there's a lot of different, uh, you know, trade paperbacks and things like that. Um, if you look through Batman, pretty much numbers one through thirty, which pretty much covers 1939 to about 45, um the joker is a lot in there and particularly detective comics i would say from maybe detective comics like 40 to like the the first about you know 10 to 15 issues you can see a lot of that you know kind of a dark you know figure it's kind of he's just kind of all over the place but it's not so menacing that you know he's just like He doesn't fit the code of insanity, you know. They may say, "Wow, this guy's crazy," or "Wow, he's," you know, just, you know, if he kills someone, it's, you know, he doesn't have any remorse. But he had a plan. It's kind of like, you know, he's like, "I want to do this," or "I want to get this," or it was kind of more planned out. Even though out of all of the other rogues and villains and crooks and you know, you know, criminal underground masterminds that you would see in all the different stories. His was kind of the more kind of just aloof and just did what he wanted. And it was more of a – it kind of was just – he stood out from the rest and definitely would probably see him as an arch nemesis because he appeared the most.
0: And then we move into the 50s.
1: Right. Pretty much the 50s. um, Pretty much after Red Hood in 51 from 54 to probably about the next decade about 64 you kind of see him as kind of a gimmick character he's not so you know violent you know that kind of goes away he's more seen as a clown as he visually you know can see him it's more you know he plays tricks. He's a prankster. It plays much more on the Joker, Jester, Fool aspect than the kind of murderer, crazy, maniac type. So it's much more tame, which all of pretty much, you could argue that with all the characters, whether it's DC, Marvel, whoever's creating it, whether it's Stan Lee, Jack Kirby, or you know Bill Finger, or Dick Sprang. It all kind of had to be dialed back. And so I think the '50s is kind of a more, you know, tame era. And
0: Uh, is there good reading in the '50s era? I mean, you know, it seems like today we're very, (laughs) we're very preoccupied with darkness. Uh, Obviously, we've got, you know, the the most recent Batman movies. You would consider one would consider dark. I consider dark. So, if anyone was to go back, would we find some good stuff in from '54 to '64?
1: Um, I think pretty much if you go um, within the early, like, Detective Comics, like, the ends, like, from, like, 160 to 200 <laughs> and kind of Batman, uh, like, the, about the early hundreds, you'll find it. But there's no distinct story that kind of sets his tone. It's kind of like when he appears, it's just kind of he's there. Because once we get into the early 60s, there's a new DC editor, um, Julius Schwartz, and he actually disliked the Joker. He didn't like his character. He didn't think, you know, he would be a good match for Batman. And so pretty much from the 60s on, you don't see him in comics.
0: Really? No. So for from, ni- for, you say 60s on, so 60s like on till when?
1: So like probably... Um, he was in a story called The Joker's Jury. Um, it was in a detective comics story. Um, he, after that until 73, when Neil Adams reemerges him and makes him a dark character, you don't see him in comics. He's not a main character. You may see him in a flashback or a dream, something kind of lucid like that, but he's, you don't see him. And that's, I think, why it's so interesting and probably why it's one of my favorite it's pretty much my favorite batman it's when 66 came and the live action uh television series came and the joker was one of the main rogues um portrayed by cesar romero and it brought joker not only to a new audience but to um just out of almost out of obscurity because at that point he wasn't even going to come back to comics. It really? seemed like He was just going to be, you know, he just was going to be a silver age, you know, goner, which a lot of, uh, Batman characters kind of ended up with in the sixties and the seventies. But Romero, he, he represented that silver age, you know, lighthearted Joker. He didn't represent the forties kind of dark. He, you know, I mean, in the 60s, it was in the pop art era. Everything was bright. I mean, even in the show, the automatopoeia splash on the on the screen and everything's bright. So the Joker, he had, you know, Cesar Romero, he had the green hair, the white makeup. And it's always fun to note that he didn't shave his mustache. Um, and so they had to put makeup over it <laughs> because he just refused to shave it.
0: I'm looking at a picture now. <laughs> wow.
1: So he always had to cover up and he had the red lipstick and the smile and his you know laugh was kind of even more maniacal than maybe you would even see in the comics you know he kind of brought a little bit more of the crazy that the comics would allow and kind of made it so kind of outrageous everything's so dramatic I mean it's almost watching how Adam West is Batman it's almost watching a Shakespearean play it's very dramatic it's so theatrical all of the characters and It made all of them, Batman and Robin and Joker and Catwoman and Riddler, all of them, you know, icons. It made them within pop culture, outside of comic books. And that was a really big deal because you didn't see, I mean, Superman, he had, you know, television series and he would, you know, appeared in the fifties and even in the forties and Batman, besides the 1940s black and white serials, He didn't have any other media. It was just comics. And before the show happened, the comic book sales were declining. Batman wasn't even as popular. and So it wasn't until the show happened, even though it lasted three seasons and ended in 68, it, it just made Batman so much more, you know, known to different people, different audience, and it made the sales go up, and DC loved that. But once it was canceled, it kind of went down again, and you didn't see Joker. You didn't see him in comics, even though he was popular on the TV screen, and the merchandise, and Batmania came, and it just was crazy all over the world. Joker kind of was still obscure in the comic book medium.
0: So that, that TV show, the f- the first Batman with Adam West and mm-hmm. uh, Cesar Romero, when, that one, you said it debuted in 66? Yep,
1: January of 66, and it lasted until 68. So it only lasted three years. Wow. Even yeah. though it feels like it went on for like a decade, yeah. you know, because it was so popular. And, you know, within the first year it was so popular, they had a feature film. So Cesar Romero was the first live action Joker on TV and in film. So even though people, you know, if they compare him to other Jokers, I mean, he was the first. Right. and Everything from that point, you have to reference. It's it's some type of reference. You have to look back and see. And whatever see,
0: Joker there is now or whatever Joker you view right. as your Joker, it all evolved from his portrayal.
1: Exactly.
0: So in 68, the show goes off the air. It's obviously went into reruns. Right. But you're saying then there wasn't much... To be heard from Joker until 73?
1: Pretty much. I mean, in the early 70s, there was a a small animated Batman and Robin um, TV show hour, and the main villains were Joker and Penguin. And so you would see him on there, you know, Saturday morning cartoon type of thing. But in comics, no, he wasn't there. And then once a new editor, DC editor, came in, and they hired um artist Neil Adams and writer Dennis O'Neill, they wanted to revive the Joker. They're like, We want to bring him back, but we want him to be insane. Mass murder, just crazy, you know, more much more violent than you know what you'd seen before and neil adams even with marvel he kind of went against the comics code authority and was kind of like screw you guys i'm gonna do what i think the character needs to kind of bring back i mean even with batman himself they brought back the bill finger bob Kane kind of pulp fiction gothic roots that you know he emerged from in the in in 1939 in the 40s So the 70s was a very important transitional period, not just for Joker, but for Batman in general, and brought kind of more of a darker tone back to the character, and kind of really made him more of a dark knight than his previous decade. What
0: was the story that they brought him back in?
1: Um, It's called The Joker's uh, Five-Way Revenge, and it's in Batman 251, Um, and yeah, it's from September, I'm pretty sure, of 1973, and... It's pretty much Joker is released from prison. I mean, in general, since he's released from prison and he wants revenge on the there's five different gangs that are, you know, gang members that kind of went against them, pretty much put him in prison. And so he wants to go on a killing spree and he wants to go down the list and kill all of the people that wronged him. And he pretty much makes it probably about three of them. (laughs) (laughs) And just in cold blood, just kills them. And Batman pretty much has to track him down. And they end up at this large aquarium. And it's this whole thing. But it's just so... Even the, the way that the Joker is now designed. Like, his jawline is elongated. And it makes his smile even more just larger than life. And I always think you know, when you see his face and you see the makeup and everything, it's so, oh, it's so comical, it's so clownish, but he's doing such devious things. It just, you know, it kind of, it's a very interesting balance that you kind of get with him. But from that story on, he pretty much became not only Batman's arch nemesis, but the most dangerous he's had. And because of that, he was actually not in like every other story as he was maybe in the 40s. You know, they kind of used him a little bit because he was such now a very important character to Batman and to kind of what Batman represents because now the Joker represents chaos and murder and and anarchy and, you know, just all of the things that Batman tries to protect Gotham from. So it kind of, that, I think that's when... You know the kind of yin and yang kind of relationship that Batman and Joker have kind of started in the early '70s with Neil Adams.
0: And how was Batman's personality then? I I kind of think about, um, and I and I don't know if this is accurate or not. So I obviously want to be enlightened about it. But Batman, at one point, I think during that time, he had a blue uniform, right. blue cape, blue hood, right. and the yellow symbol Batman, and then the gray body with the the, uh, right. the blue underpants. And then ultimately, I think when Frank Miller came, and correct me if I'm wrong, it changed into a darker Batman with gray and black. Definitely. So we've got a madman, insane Joker happening in 73. What What's Batman like at that time?
1: He is still, because Robin is still involved. And that is a very important, you know, part of him, that he has still, you know, Robin still is in high school. He's been, like, in high school forever, it feels like. But he's still, you know, the boy wonder. So even though his demeanor kind of goes back and he's very much more, you know, justice and what's right, and it's very, he's very serious, way more serious than he was in the previous decades and even though he still has the yellow symbol and the colors are still kind of from the 60s era and especially you know them looking at it from the adam west perspective because once adam west came on the screen they kind of pretty much mimicked those colors and kept that color scheme and they introduced you know the new batman in the mid 60s and just how he looked but you know, calling back to different 40s covers and stories. And he kind of just was more, you know, I think once Joker came, it he became more serious. You know, he still was, you know, he still was like, I'm here to, you know, help the GCPD and to, you know, save the city and save everyone. But I think once he saw that there was actually someone that was that dangerous killing people. It's one thing to you know hold people hostage and make threats and you know rob banks and things like that. But to when it comes to people's lives, I think his tone kind of died down, and even Robin you know he still kind of was Batman's balance. you know, Robin made Batman not go full on you know scary bat right <laughs> you know he kind of was the balance for him. That's what he needed, even, and that's why he was introduced back, you know, right. 30 years prior.
0: Right. So, okay. So, that – thank you for clarifying because now we've got in now we're in the 70s and we've got this maniacal, crazy killer clown, right? Essentially, <laughs> essentially. Uh, where what happens all is anything else happened in the 70s before uh, the we get 70s, into the 80s? You
1: pretty much. Um, You kind of get his iconography down, like how he looks, you know, you get the the long purple trench coat and you get the kind of slender look of face and he's tall and he has, you know, all of his little gadgets, but it's still more like, you know, instead of this bang gun, you know, he'll have a real gun in his pocket and shoot you, you know, you kind of develop that and you get stories like the laughing fish by, you know, Steve Englehart and they, you kind of have a short detective comics run, um, where you pretty much just get a good sense of the Joker and kind of like his now darker side. Um, so the seventies kind of just established that, which is interesting because when you go into the 80s they make Batman darker you know he descends into something and that's pretty much when Frank Miller comes in and he comes in with 86s you know the Dark Knight Returns and does has this kind of almost futuristic look into Batman as retired you know and he comes back after 10 years when a new gang comes and you even see Joker in this light and it already calls back to the dynamic that Batman and Joker have in terms of good and evil, because the Joker, he comes back when Batman comes back. You know, once Batman retired, disappears, you know, in, in there, it was because of the death of Jason Todd, which everyone's like, Oh, it's foreshadowing. And it's, it's kind of convoluted. But after he, leaves and he's not batman anymore joker isn't joker he he know he descends to the shadows he's you know in an insane asylum and that's actually what was important another thing for the 70s was that in 74 the arkham hospital was created and the joker was considered legally insane and so that's where he was always committed to Arkham Asylum, pretty much now what it is today. And that's important because um, that's when pretty much in the 70s it was established he's insane. He's an insane man that just goes around and kills and doesn't care and he needs to be locked away. And of course, he always escapes and comes back. But, you know, he kind of was became a recluse. And then when Batman emerged in Miller's story, so did Joker. And he kind of... He kind of, like, you know, snapped back into being Joker and kind of went on his own spree himself. And the 80s really demonstrated how much of a factor, an important factor that Joker plays on Batman because he pretty much not only hurts Batman, but he hurts the Batman family. And before... You never see that, you know, Batman and Joker have gone head to head in almost hundreds of stories. But when the late 80s come and the Joker affects the Batman family and the actual status quo, that's when you really see Batman affected. You know, when Alan Moore came out in 88 with The Killing Joke and paralyzed Barbara Gordon, you know, he he hurt Barbara. And then in 89, when the Joker kills the second Robin at the time, Jason Todd, you know, he pretty much broke down after that. It's like back-to-back events, and the Joker just pretty much psychologically damages him quite for quite some time. Even in the comics following, right after, in the Batman just after comics, that man's not okay i mean even when he's you know doing his own thing and he's solving crimes and all of that he's still weighed down by the fact that joker did this so the 80s really brought to light how much the joker is an arch nemesis and affects batman and then you kind of see that in the 89 movie with jack nicholson and him channeling He was, in, you know, he read The Killing Joke and Tim Burton wanted him to read that and the new darker stories. And that's how I think that's why for a lot of people, Jack Nicholson is like the Joker for them. Chris, for a lot of people, was the first introduction of Joker. You know, they didn't see Cesar Romero, you know, 20 years prior. And so the 80s kind of ended with a redefining of Joker, you know, through Jack Nicholson on screen, but also a redefining of him in comics with just how ruthless he's okay. you know. He just kills people and hurts them and hurts their family because he just wants to. And yet, he won't kill Batman.
0: Right. So, we we have the 80s, obviously, big stories. Right. Totally changing the Joker. Channeled through the movie. Right. And then, what next? Then we get into the 90s?
1: Yep. It's pr- The 90s, which is an interesting period because... It's more driven through when Batman the Animated Series came in 1992, and then you're introduced to Harley Quinn. And up until this point...
0: Was Harley Quinn introduced through comics or yeah, the show first? The show first. Wow.
1: Yeah, she was in the Joker's favor in, 19, in September 1992. So she's only, what, 22 years old? <laughs> so she was. she's one of the few characters that was first introduced... Um, outside of the medium, and then brought in.
0: Yeah, who else? Just curious. Offhand. Um,
1: Renee Montoya. Okay. And uh, was she a detective? She's a detective. Okay. Yeah, the two, uh, pretty much two detectives. Renee Montoya. Right. I don't want to get you off track, but <laughs> I, did, I did not
0: realize Harley Quinn was. Oh uh, um,
1: no! Yeah, wow. she was all animated series, and she was supposed to be just a walk-on role for one episode. But they liked the the dynamic that they both had, and Joker's never really had that. He's never had someone like, you know, a sidekick or anything. It's just been him. And Harley Quinn is just this, even though she's this, you know, bubbly and quirky character and, you know, everyone loves her. She goes insane because the Joker. I mean, she was first, you know, a psychiatrist and he was her patient and he pretty much manipulated her mind and, you know, pretty much thought that it's not the Joker's fault that he's this way. It's Batman's and he needs to get him. And he turned this brilliant young woman into putting on a jester onesie, pretty much (laughs) putting on makeup and saying, Hey, I'm Harley Quinn and totally changing her whole, you know, her whole self. Wow. And so that was a really, you know, big deal. And that made the Joker popular, especially with, you know, Mark Hamill voicing the Joker and, you know, that is one of my favorite, pretty much Joker interpretations is Mark Hamill's from the animated series. Um, and that pre- and that in itself dominated the 90s. But then there were also a few stories that um, Joker was in that I think also is a good example of the dynamic that Batman and Joker have. And it's from uh, Batman, Legend of the Dark Knight, I think, number 65 to 68 from 94. It's called Going Sane. And pretty much the Joker believes that Batman is dead. He's in an explosion and he thinks he's dead. And so he says, I don't need to be Joker anymore. And he changes his name. He, you know, gets skin products to fix his face he gets an apartment, he gets a job, he gets a girlfriend. He leads a normal life for a period of time because he thinks Batman's dead. He's like, I don't need to be Joker anymore. Wow. And then, once Batman emerges and comes back, he snaps.
0: And when was that? What year was that?
1: That was 94. Okay. Okay. So So that was all
0: part of the story in the 90s. Right.
1: And so that was part of the Legends of the Dark Knight um, publication, which a lot of times would illustrate um, earlier Batman stories. So I I always would recommend that to readers who want to know more about the Joker, and especially the Joker and the Batman dynamic. Right.
0: So 90s clearly driven by the animated series right Uh, where do we go next Um, are we staying in the 90s or do we go out to the 2000s
1: well um, the 2000s bring a lot of uh, bring a a few really good Joker stories there's one um, I mean even at the end of the 90s there's this story and it's called Anarchy and they introduce that character as Joker's son but that's kind of like kind of out of continuity But the 2000s, I think um, the two really big stories that are important are Joker by uh, Brian Azzarello um, and uh, The Man Who Laughs, which is based off of the Victor Hugo book um, by Edward Baker. And those two um, joke, the Azzarello story was right after um, The Dark Knight, the 2008 film with Heath Ledger portraying the Joker. That came out and that was heavily influenced his character his you know kind of his really dark you know chaotic self
0: what when was that movie the Heath Ledger
1: it's 2008 and it was the second to Batman Begins we're starting in 2005 so it's the second movie and of course you know Heath Ledger for a lot of people I guess like even my sister's generation she's 14 you know that's the Joker she knows you know and for a lot of people I always, I never like to go into that debate of whether his death kind of made that, you know, that portrayal bigger than maybe it was, but it was a brilliant, um, you know, interpretation of Joker. And once again, he used influence from The Killing Joke and other stories. And I think that All three, Cesar Romero's and Jack Nicholson and then his, they all showed a different type of Joker that kind of reflected the period that he was in. And he just kind of descended and became darker and darker from the 90s and then the 2000s. And I think that's when Azarello's story came out. And, you know, he was killing and raping and pillaging and just, just a complete, you know, just massacre um, and it was kind of influenced from Nolan's second movie. Um, but those two stories were pretty much the big ones, I think. And so, then,
0: so where did Nolan get his, I mean, where did that come from directly? Because if you're telling me that the man who laughs and the, the Joker uh, came out after that as influenced by that, what where do you think some of the main influence came into the Heath Ledger portrayal of Batman? I, or, I'm sorry, of Joker.
1: Um I definitely think I mean I mean Nolan I I liked that trilogy because it really did borrow from the comics. I mean Batman Begins is pretty much Batman Year 1 Miller's Year 1 from 87. I mean it's pretty much really influenced off that, but I think Heath Ledger's was a lot influenced by The Killing Joke and just kind of how his you know he, they don't they don't show you an origin in there, but just the way that the Joker just you know is just you know reckless and just you know even though in there he you know he doesn't have a plan and all of that i think just the way that he is and just you know i'll kill you for nothing i don't need money i don't need anything it's not about that it's just about doing you know what you want to do i think a lot of the later 80s you know darker tales like Dark Knight Returns and Killing Joke and Death of the Fam- and Death in the Family definitely were influences for for Heath Ledger and you know of course he put his own spin on it you know to make it his own but yeah I, I definitely think late 80s were big influences for him
0: and so after we've got the movie with uh, Heath Ledger we've got the the Joker and the Man Who Laughs all big stories in the joker's canon um what what comes next
1: i think once those stories happen and then it kind of the batman mythos is kind of more dominated with you know after the stories like final crisis when batman is dead for pretty much a year's worth of time and then it kind of Goes into, you know, Dick Grayson becoming Batman and then, you know, Damian Wayne coming into the picture, and it's more focused on the Batman family. You don't really see a big Joker story really until the New 52 starts. Um, You don't see it until uh, Death of the Family. That was Um, written by Scott Snyder. Scott Snyder and, and Greg Capullo. And that story, and that's still my favorite story within the New 52. You know, um, I really uh... I
2: remember you saying telling me about a story where um, Batman, who's um, Dick Grayson at the time, confronts Joker because he thinks he's committed a crime. And Joker doesn't want to fight him because he realizes that, he doesn't know it's Bruce Wayne, but he realizes that it's not Bruce Wayne, it's someone else. Right. And he says, you're not my Batman, tell my Batman to come back, I want to play. Yes. And it kind of highlights the dynamic that he only wants to, he only wants to fight his Batman. Exactly,
1: he only wants that bruce wayne like he wants that batman it's it's it that's what i think is the most fascinating and then you kind of see that in death of the family when you know he does all these horrible acts to all of the batman family members and of course the way that he his aesthetics i mean you know he cut off his face and then pinned it back with hooks. And just, it's even more that is grotesque. so
0: disturbing. But,
1: yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's even more grotesque than, you know, the 40s, you know, gothic kind of, you know, feel that Robinson created. I mean, they definitely took the visual to the next level. So the acts that match just are completely horrific. But I think that um, Capullo, drawing it did a fantastic job and it still showed batman and joker and that kind of you know that he can hurt him i think with all of the villains that he's faced you know ones either that come once or, or all the time joker is the one that kind of shows that you know with joker's insanity it kind of puts it highlights whether batman's sane or not i mean you know, even though we love Batman, he's a man that dresses up like a bat and he has this mission and it's kind of, they kind of foil each other. I mean, Batman does these crazy acts and has all these gadgets and puts all this money towards all of this one thing and it's for good. And Joker, you know, looks the way he does and does all these acts and it's for evil. And I think every time the Joker gets away or he hurts a family member or he hurts anyone in Gotham or he fails, it's a reflection on Batman. I think Batman sees himself and is like, is what I'm doing right? Am, Am I sane? Am I going insane? And I think that's why the Joker, even after 75 years, is the most important character for Batman because it evaluates him after every story, no matter if it's small or if it's something huge like Death of the Family or even Endgame that just ended this week. So I think that's why why DC is celebrating Joker, because he is iconic. He is the archetype of a villain. He is the representation of evil, and in this case, Batman is the representation of good. And you always see that good versus evil that every good superhero or hero story has.
0: Right, at its core. Exactly. That is what it is. Good versus evil when you come in and get a superhero comic. Good versus evil, and you're probably going to see Batman versus Joker. Exactly. So what uh, what are you excited about looking forward uh, with regards to Joker, whether it be in any medium?
1: Um, I'm excited to see how, I guess, After the conclusion of Endgame, right now, how he's going to either, if he's going to come back, if this was the end, I mean, Snyder kind of wanted to give Joker in this story an end. He kind of wanted to, you know, he gave him an origin and he gave him an ending. So I'm curious to see, you know, how he'll emerge, you know, in comics. I'm curious to see how he'll be on film with Jared Leto as the new cinematic Joker, I am always very optimistic and open-minded about casting. I know people are very, you know, hardcore about it. You know, people are upset about Ben Affleck and all of that stuff. But, you know, I always keep an open mind because at the end of the day, it's Joker and it's Batman and you want to see that no matter who's playing it. Even if it's your mom dressed up in the Cape of Cow, you're going to go see it on the film because it's Batman. So I'm curious to see how... J.R. dolito is going to put a new spin on joker because he's not going to do a heath ledger he's not going to do a jack nicholson he's not going to do a cesar romero he's not going to do a mark hamill and all of the other people that have voiced him and have been him he's going to do his own thing and i think that's what people need to see is that there have been so many different interpretations of joker like we said you can go in all different decades and there's a different joker he can pick one and do his own type of character and so that's what i'm excited to see i'm excited to see you know it progress and to you know highlight past jokers and kind of bring it to life
0: right so we've got uh, some movies to look forward to we've got some comic books to look forward to and uh is uh if there's one thing that uh you want me to go home and read right now for the joker I'm a new person. I've never read any of this. I know there's a lot, but give me your top recommendation to give me the iconic story.
1: Uh, for me, and it's I, I really do think you should read Batman The Killing Joke. If it's one single story, right. if that's the one, Alan Moore, Brian Boland, 1988, that is a fantastic story. Not only do you get to see the origin which you don't really get to see an origin for Joker, but you get, but it's even more personal because you see him before he transforms. Usually you just see him in the red hood and the suit and dive into that. You see the man before it. You see that he's a failed comedian, but you don't know his name. You see that he's struggling with work and he has a pregnant wife and he's trying to provide and he's stressing over, trying to be a good new husband. And then a tragedy happens and all of these things kind of follow all in one day. And he emerges as the Joker and it's all because of these tragic events. And you just get to see the character unfold within this one graphic novel. And it doesn't justify all of the horrific acts he does with shooting Babs and, you know, tying up Gordon and making him see the horrific everything but you get to see where the insanity kind of originates. So I would definitely recommend that. But if you wanted just something to just read that this has a whole bunch of different stories, it's, you know, it's all, it, it came out in 97, but it's called um the greatest joker stories ever told it's by DC Comics it's trade paperback has about 10 different stories which are all great including ones that we talked about batman 251 and his first appearance in batman number 1 so that's something great to pick up and even the one that just came out last year that's called the joker celebration of 75 years that has they've picked out perfect stories that if you want to just see joker in comics and kind of his evolution those are great to pick up as well
0: And give me your favorite Joker memorabilia piece that you have.
1: Oh, (laughs) it is um, the Kodo's killing joke statue. Really? It's beautiful. What's this look like? Uh, Oh, gosh. Um, (laughs) It's pretty much uh, Joker. He's in his uh, purple hat and it's in a long purple trench coat and he has it's it's pretty much the cover um, of the killing joke where he's holding up the camera to his eye and he's standing on a box that's like of dynamite and it's it's in person the sculpting is magnificent magnificent it really is and it's it just embodies why I recommend the Killing Joke. Nice. It is, it, it, and I and I'm not a huge statue toy collector, but when I saw that, I'm like, I I have to. It Where has is to it? Be. Where is it? It's in the nerd. It's in our big nerd cave, and it's on the shelf, just right, sitting pretty. And right she also right has, right has a
2: copy of the Killing Joke signed by Brian Boland. Yes,
1: I do. That's right next to it. Those two. That's why it's like, even though I feel biased saying The Killing Joke, you should read it because that is my personal favorite graphic novel. It's not the first one I read, but it's my personal favorite. It is a very good story, even though it's dark for some people. It's a very good telling of the the Joker.
0: I would love to see a picture of your statue and your signed comic right next to each other.
1: Oh, I can definitely make that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> all right well maybe that
0: will be the next uh, one of the next posts you can put up
1: oh i can definitely do that yep
0: okay well listen uh i think we've reached the end of episode number two the history of the batman with london and uh what can we look forward to next show
1: the next show i think we should focus on probably one of batman's i guess most iconic gadgets i think we should focus on the the batarang ooh i, I think cuz that even though it seems simple and it's like you know he always has those it actually has a very distinctive history and there's all different and even though the silver age is all silly there's like tons of different types of weapons and even though the Batarang, it sounds campy, it's his just it's his most amazing weapon to me. I think we should do a focus on that. I that
0: think. sounds like a plan. All right. Well, London, thank you once again for everything. Meltdown, thanks you. This has been an absolutely fabulous hour learning about the Joker. Shadow Adam, thanks for chiming in. No problem. And uh, again, Meltdown Comics presents the history of the Batman with London. Thank you so much. Tune in next week as we take you to the world of the Batarang.